0: you
1: Ominous. Thank you for tuning in. Cheryl Manfredonia here, your hostess for our Hour of Sacred Music and a Touch of History. Our composer for the month, and specifically this week, is Johann Sebastian Bach. And many of you would have recognized that piece. Maybe you heard it in a film or maybe a special programming on um, Halloween music and how it touched the classical world. But this is his Toccata and Fugue in D minor. So that is uh, J.S. Bach. And specifically, what is a Toccata? and fugue this one, written for organ. the And we're not going to play the entire piece. It is a lengthy piece, but simply a toccata is an instrumental piece often designed to display the technical proficiency of a performer. And this is a form particularly found in keyboard music in the 15th, 16th, and 17th century. Probably some still being written today, but really brought on in the 15th century. And Johann was uh, first an organist in his early life. We can simply break down his life into three segments. His early years came many of these toccatas and fugues uh, written for organ. His first claim to fame was an organist, as were three or four of his children, a long line of organists in the family. Johann would travel Germany testing newly built organs He then became an excellent violinist, cantor, composer, and conductor. And as we will see in this hour, led an extremely busy life. The Toccata and Fugue in two sections First, this display of virtuosity, and then the fugue, if I can define that, not that we're going to listen to the organ fugue, we're going to go to a vocal piece to demonstrate what is a fugue. It's described more as a texture of a piece rather than a form. In essence, you have several voices with staggered entrances, and we're going to hear in the next example where the basses begin a certain melodic idea, quickly followed by the second voice answering will be the tenors. Then um, the melody might completely reflect what you just heard, or it could be slightly altered or transposed. Perhaps the same melody, just a little bit higher. So we'll have, listen specifically for the entrances. First the basses, then the tenors, then the altos, then the sopranos. And we're going to go to a larger uh, vocal work of Bach's, This is his Magnificat. Think of the Magnificat settings we might sing today from your hymnal. John Michael Talbot, holy is his name. There's even, uh, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, set to the tune of amazing grace. So short little pieces. Well, Bach couldn't say it shortly or or quickly. The Magnificat is... uh, 11 movements, 11 different sections. So we're going to go to a little bit towards the end of the work. And we want to listen to this specifically for the fugue style. You'll be listening to Secut Locutus Est for written for choir. And this is a piece that can stand alone. But as you will see, it's part of this larger work. we realize also that the text is in Latin. Bach, being a German Lutheran, most of his music is written with a German text. This is one of the pieces, this along with the mass in B minor, which we can hear the Latin language. So I hope you heard the fugue there at the beginning of that short little segment with those staggered entrances. That's a great example of Bach's technical ability to write these complex textures, yet the overall piece is very beautiful. Let's go then, uh, Here, hearing a little bit more of this Magnificat. We'll go to the first section entitled Magnificat, again in Latin, and just listen this time to how instrumentally he writes the vocal lines. These singers need to have excellent breath control, and they um, really could be violins or oboes or flute. They are written with instruments in mind, and they really enter into um, equal importance with all the instruments that are playing with them. Not one is more important than the other. There were phases in music history where the voices were very important, really took the reins, and the the accompaniment was just that, kind of a sideline foundation. But these all enter into um, an equal performance. Listening to J.S. Bach's Magnificat in D major, J.S. Bach lived his entire life in Germany from 1685 to 1750, and he devoted his entire life and talent to give honor and glory to God through music. We're gonna go to another section of this Magnificat piece. According to custom, elaborate settings of this canticle were sung at Vespers in Leipzig on the three principal festivals of the church year, um, Easter, Whitsun Sunday, and Christmas. Uh, Bach was formally installed as a cantor in Leipzig on 1723. Um, it was for the Christmas Vigil of that year that he performed his own Magnificat for the first time. A little bit later in the work, this is one of those cantatas where the choral pieces are interspersed with solos, alto, soprano, or whatever voice part might have a solo. Es Suriente. Es suriente is the alto solo, and you will hear, again, a great demonstration of how the voice and the instruments are a duet. They are of equal importance and value. You'll hear decorative accompaniment, very proper Baroque, little trills in the recorder and flute, and the voice will do the same thing. We are still listening to Portions of the Magnificat by J.S. Bach. Now remember, Bach grew up during the height of Luther's Reformation in the 16th century. As I mentioned earlier, he was Lutheran. So what is he doing writing this beautiful setting of Mary's Prayer from the first chapter of Luke? He was so taken by the masses and music he heard at the Church of St. Mary, where he spent three months listening to the Danish organist and composer Dietrich Buxtehude, that he was moved to write the Magnificent Mass in B minor, as well as this Magnificat, which uh, in my opinion is one of the greatest settings in history of Mary's beautiful prayer. He was a musical genius, and Bach's sole mission was to create well-regulated church music for the glory of God. Let's go to a couple more sections of this Magnificat. The next one we hear, will hold the great reverence. You're almost going to smell that incense at high mass in the cathedral. It is very reflective of the reverence that Palestrina held when he composed in the medieval Renaissance era. That particular section, a trio, Sushipet Israel. He protects Israel, his servant, remembering his mercy. We'll go now to the closing of the Magnificat, a threefold gloria, which leads us back to the music of the opening Magnificat movement. And with a resounding amen, the work is brought to a close. This is nonetheless a a dazzling outburst of sound, such majesty and beauty. This is the Gloria section, the ending to Bach's Magnificat. And you're going to hear uh, now a little bit of a precursor to Handel's Messiah. Of course, Bach lived be, um, before the Messiah was written, uh, or this, this Magnificat was written prior to the Messiah. And you could see the influence that would lead you to Handel. If, if you didn't realize you were listening to Bach, you might guess, oh, that maybe that's Handel I'm listening to. Enjoy the Gloria. Gloria. We'll go now to a short selection from the Mass in B minor. This is a two CD set. Can you imagine having that music at your Mass? This is um, about Section 18 in a total of 27, so we're a little bit more than midway through the Mass, where um, the text speaks of the resurrection at Resurrexit. So this is the uh, Mass in B minor. Unless you're a real seasoned listener to a lot of this classical music, you may think, I I can't even sort it all out. It certainly is complex. Sometimes takes two or three listenings to really tune into maybe one time, just hear listen to the accompaniment, the instrumental portion. Next time, really listen to the chorus. And then time three, listen to their interplay, listen to how they weave back and forth and create this complex texture. The melodic lines, spinning sometimes out of control on top of one another, creating dizzy layers of notes, intervals, and overtones. It, it really is um, complex, but I, I don't think Bach wrote just to be complex. I, I think he was writing um, in his, his sense of order, in his imagination. Uh, it's just the way his mind was wired, but I don't think he was um, offering this complexity just for the sake of complexity. He would actually attach certain numbers to the to the intervals in the music, and uh, he was a, had a very mathematical approach to his writing, and they would very often reflect biblical passages, specifically the m- numerical passages. If you went to chapter 30 of something, for example, verses 16 through 24, he would weave those numbers into his composition patterns. Perhaps all of these symbolic numbers and patterns were something Bach did as a kind of meditation because really, he was so busy. How did he even find time, number one, to compose all that he did? And more importantly, when did he find time to pray? So perhaps this writing, this method, was his own personal way of worshiping God and and in the end I guess it doesn't matter if anyone else really figures it all out he was writing his music for God as his audience it was between him and the Lord Bach was astonishingly busy he was a civil servant charged with overseeing the music in four Leipzig churches he was married twice widowed the first time and he had 20 children Now, that's a full-time job right there. He taught music lessons, Latin classes. He rehearsed and performed his own organ works, which were from the first portion of his life where he really delved into the organ and keyboard works. He directed the local boys' choirs. So what a volume of work that Bach produced. His second period... Uh, the second period of his life, he had moved to a different city, and he wrote a lot of his secular keyboard works, specifically the well-tempered clavier, which is two volumes, book one and two, for those pianists out there. Many of us have had to study those different pieces for the piano. Uh, He wrote violin sonatas, chamber music, a lot of his instrumental offerings. I highly recommend the Brandenburg Concertos. Absolutely beautiful. And a little organ book, a set of short organ preludes. Many organists have that as part of their library when they play in church. Uh, Let's go to a sample of this. Definitely going to be familiar from the well-tempered clavier, book one, number one, the Prelude in C. And then many years later, above this uh, constant 16th note pattern going through a couple of key changes, and again ending in C, a composer by the name of Charles Gounod in the Romantic era of France came along and was inspired by Bach's Prelude in C. And Gounod wrote a lovely melody over top of the prelude, which was uh, um, taken and given the text to the beautiful Ave Maria. So this is the Bach Gounod Ave Maria, sung by a beautiful tenor. the beautiful and reverend Ave Maria Bach-Gounod being sung by the cathedral tenor Howard Fankhauser from St. James Cathedral, Seattle, Washington. We're going to go to an instrumental piece now just for a variety. This is going to be a gorgeous brass ensemble of one of Bach's chorales. And I'll just make mention, again, we said Bach had three, basically three segments in his life, the first year's the organ works, toccatas and fugues, um, getting uh, get him in, getting himself established as an organist. He was living in Weimar, the second part of his life in Cothen, another city in Germany, where he wrote a lot of his instrumental pieces, uh, the keyboard well-tempered clavier, a lot of the chamber music, the Brandenburg concertos, and then it was The third section of his life that he settled finally in Leipzig, where he wrote most of his religious music, over 200 cantatas, I think he had the responsibility of writing one per week, uh, a half hour cantata that would be played at the Sunday Mass or Sunday service. It was during this third era of his life all this religious music was written, St. John's Passion, the Passion According to St. Matthew, from which we get the Chorale O Sacred Head Surrounded, also the B Minor Mass and the Magnificat, although Bach's music was not always a Appreciated during his own lifetime, never a prophet in your, in your own time, as they say. It was almost 100 years later when Felix Mendelssohn discovered the St. Matthew Passion that Bach's manuscripts finally began to be restored and published and had a new appreciation. When George Telemann, another classical name you might know from the early years, Telemann refused the honored position of cantor at the famous St. Thomas School in Leipzig, the town council decided to hire bach and they remarked since the best man could not be obtained a mediocre one will just have to do if they only knew the great man's music would live on to touch the lives of millions throughout the entire world even still to this day let us go to a lovely chorale this is now thank we all our god not the one you might automatically expect this is a setting by js bach being played by a brass ensemble specifically listening to the slow, drawn-out chorale portion of the piece being played by the brass ensemble and underlying that a very busy organ accompaniment. This is that's going to lead us out to another stream of Bach's music as we move ahead into some of his cantatas. now to one of the cantatas and you're going to hear this certain particular style of composition recurring in the several selections I'm about to play how you have this busy underlying maybe constant triplets or sixteenth notes and then Superimposed is a longer, more sustained melody, which would then become a chorale, could easily be transformed into just a page in the hymnal where the the congregation would sing the chorale and maybe some of that busyness would disappear. Let's go to another instrumental selection, which might be slightly familiar. Sometimes I see it on Christmas CDs, actually. Sheep may safely graze. This is from his cantata number 208 again we're listening to the music of J S Bach In researching and tracing the origin of hymns we sing today, we look to Bach, who always had his congregation in mind. Even in his lengthiest works, chorales would be inserted which the congregation could sing. As we will hear in our next, you're going to hear two versions of Sleeper's Wake affiliated with our Advent season. The first one will be this uh, like we just heard in sheep may safely graze the one voice part being very busy with constant motion constant movement and then an elongated sustained melody in the other voice and very often this would become the vocal line as you will hear in our second example of the same piece sleepers wake and you're just going to hear the chorale portion as Bach's congregation would sing Cantata number 140, J.S. Bach, Wachet Auf, Sleepers Awake. The Baroque era has become the most associated with the development of cantatas and oratorios, both unquestionably perfected by Bach. He wrote, as I mentioned, over 200 to be used in the church services of the courts where he was employed. Oratorios and cantatas were biblical stories told through music without the staging like you might see in an opera. They alternate large choruses with solo arias, duets, trios, and recitative narration. A lot of the recitative, the recited narration, took place took place in his Passions. The Passions are verbatim accounts from any of the four Gospels concerning the death of Jesus Christ. So if you do visit your library or you want to pick up a CD somewhere, someone's having a sale, you can pick up either the St. John or the St. Matthew Passions and have yourself a a mini Lenten retreat there with J.S. Bach. Let's go to the ever-familiar Yezu Joy of Man's Desiring, and this is being sung by the National Chamber Choir of Ireland. Jesu joy of man's desiring. Three of Johann's sons made music their life as well. Johann Christian became interested in Italian opera, he moved to Italy, he converted to Catholicism, and he became the model and guide of the young Mozart. Wilhelm Friedman became a keyboard master, harpsichordist, organist, and pianist. C.P.E. Bach, Carl Philippe Emanuel, experimented with many musical forms, but certainly excelled in keyboard mastery. And you will see pieces by C.P.E. Bach in a lot of the lesson series. Whether you uh, study with John Thompson or Michael Aaron or any other publisher, you're going to find some of his pieces in the uh, different collections, someone who's at perhaps a um, medium level of keyboard mastery. I thank you for tuning in for our hour on JS Bach. I would welcome hearing from you. You can call me at the station, area 609-882-9357, if you had any questions, or send me an email. Maybe you have a favorite composer you want to hear more about, and I can delve into their life and their history. You can email me, Cheryl, that's spelled C-H-E-R-Y-L, Cheryl at domesticchurchmedia.org Again, Cheryl at domesticchurchmedia.org Thank you so much for tuning in and um, have a great week.